Welcome, everyone, to the Talking Reef Podcast. Questions and comments are always welcome. Please send them to podcast at talkingreef.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.talkingreef.com. Now, here's the show. Welcome to another special reef keeping edition of the Talking Reef Podcast, the weekly talk show that brings you topics and discussions on marine and reef aquariums. I'm your host, Rob Weatherly. This week we've got a good show for you. We've got Alan Chantelois coming in talking about some testing that he's done with some metal halide bulbs. So I'm going to quit with the chatter and let's get right into the interview. Alan, welcome to the Talking Reef Podcast. I'd like to start off, if you could, uh, can you give us a brief introduction into yourself, who you are and where you come from and such? Well, I'm uh, in Wisconsin, uh city of Appleton, Wisconsin. I'm a physician. I've had uh, uh, aquaria off and on since I was a kid. Uh, most recently, I've uh, been into reef keeping, uh, which I began about eight years ago. Uh, some good experience there. What's your current system like? I know you got a pretty big one. Well, I have a 400-gallon uh, tank. Um, it's kind of a mixed reef, uh, although I'm uh, uh, kind of favoring the stony corals, but it still has some of the soft corals and a few clams. Um, let's see. It's in a, uh, a basement kind of in-wall system, so I can view it from both sides. Awesome. Kind of in my dream tank. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. All right. Well, um, now this month you did an article for Reefkeeping Magazine in the From the Trenches column, and it's on the light output of the Phoenix 14K double-ended metal halide bulbs over you know a certain period of time. Now, while the title of the article is fairly descriptive, um, I'd like if you could take a minute and kind of highlight what the article is about, what you tested, and the basic method that you used. Okay. Um, about a year ago, I uh, replaced all the uh, lights over my tank. Now, I have uh, seven 250-watt metal halides. Uh, so it, uh, you know, every time I replace them, I've got seven lights to replace. But what I decided this time was that I'd follow the uh, light output of the bulbs over time to see uh, how the uh, light fell off. Uh, I had acquired an Apogee quantum meter oh, a few months before that, and I decided that would be a good use for it. And if everybody so, remembers, that's that's the same one that uh, Brian Plankus used, if I remember correctly, back in the, the article that he did with reef keeping. Uh, that's correct. It also, I believe, was uh, the Apogee uh, quantum meter was reviewed in one of the online articles maybe a year ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so I used uh, that meter to uh, measure the light output of each of the bulbs uh, from the time I initially put them in for about a year. Uh, and the reason I did that, I wanted to um, kind of assess how well the bulbs really held up because there isn't really a lot of information out there that tells us how long the, uh, uh, you know, how long the light output will remain use at a useful level. Right. Most people out there are going to tell you that a metal halide bulb is going to last you. I, I've heard pretty much 10 up to 14 uh, months is usually the average about what I hear. But uh, you're coming from the angle of, well, other than people saying it, you know, why are people saying it? And you're just trying to see if you can come up with some data to base that that number off of, right? Exactly. Yeah, I know there was, uh, there has been a little bit of data, but it really um, was kind of retrospective data. I know Sanjay had some people send in bulbs, and there, uh, there was a lot of question as to how much they had really been used, et cetera. 
I have the advantage of having the ability to really do up to seven replicates of, of the bulb. So, uh, you know, ideally I figure I could compare seven different bulbs and see not only what the average is, but how much variability there was between one bulb and another. Exactly. Now, speaking of variability from one bulb to another, something funny kind of happened uh, when you were doing this test. Uh, in your article, you highlighted uh, this abnormality with one of the bulbs. And when I read it, it was kind of confusing uh, as to what happened until I, I spoke to you about it. Now, so just for everybody that I'm sure is going to go over and read the article at Reefkeeping, uh, can you take a minute and kind of describe to us what happened with this uh, number three bulb in your test? Yeah, I sure can. It had me confused for quite a while, too. Um, it was, um, like I say, a little over a year ago that I uh, began the test. And I had, um, uh, prior to putting in the, four, uh, the uh, seven uh, Phoenix 14K bulbs, I had a mixture of some 10K bulbs and four of the Aqua Connect bulbs, which are thought to be the same bulb as the Phoenix. Uh, so I had taken out all the old bulbs and replaced them with seven new bulbs. Well, when I began doing the measurements, I found that one of the bulbs just was way below the others in output. And throughout the uh, test, I assumed there was either something wrong with the bulb or something wrong with the ballast or uh, it really was confused about why that one should be such an outlier. Uh, after a year, when I decided it was time to kind of uh, put some closure to the test, I, I figured that one bulb, the output was so low, I was going to replace that one, although I would, decided to continue using the other six bulbs. When I took the bulb out, I found that it was, in fact, an AquaConnect bulb. So what that meant was that uh, a year ago when I replaced all the bulbs, I accidentally put the old one back in and uh, tossed out the new Phoenix, one of the new Phoenix bulbs. Uh, <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, so in effect I had six new bulbs and one bulb that was already a little over a year old. Right, so now for everybody that that's kind of interested, it, it led to some interesting results uh, when doing the test, and you'll kind of see the graphs represent... Uh, you know some funny things happening there, uh, but it was it was kind of a, an interesting test, and it has some some longer term uh, uh, not effects but uh, implications, and it, it adds a little bit to data, which uh, I think is covered more in the article, and everybody can go over there to to find out about that. Now, yeah. uh, one of the key things that you found was that our current idea of the lifespan of a metal halide might be inaccurate. Uh, you know, as we alluded to earlier, that. Right now, everybody, you know, like I said, says, oh, 12 months, okay? And that's, you know, usually the average that most people work off. But uh, uh, you found something that might uh, hint to that that might be inaccurate. Can you explain a little bit uh, about why you think this is? Uh, yeah. Um, well, first of all, you know, it is only one bulb and on one ballast, so it's possible that it isn't representative of other bulbs, although I suspect that we'll find that it does at least apply to some other bulbs. But what I, what I saw was that initially there is a fairly rapid uh, fall-off in the output. Um, it's not a, a huge fall-off, but uh, most of the fall-off that occurs is in the four, first four to six months. After that, the uh, output of the bulbs all it, it stabilized and stayed pretty much the same for the rest of the year. Uh, and, uh, you know, based on the one bulb that I you know, was perhaps even older than that, it, it, it looks like that's that light output may remain pretty stable for a, a couple years or more. Uh, if that's the case, then it really may it may be that we can continue using them for more than a year, year and a half, maybe two years. 
Right now, just to kind of re-highlight this is what you know what's going on here. And again, uh, everybody can head over and read the article and see the graphs in there because you know seeing the visual representation, it really kind of sinks in a little bit better than than hearing it like this. But uh, what you found was that when you you know from the time you first put the bulb in, uh, after the first uh, what was it I think about four months, there was a the largest drop off took place right there. And then after that four months the drop-off was, was very minimal over to the end of the test. And, exactly. uh, you know, that draws some conclusions like, well, why are we, you know, if we're replacing it after, you know, the biggest drop-off, that would be at the four to six month mark, not at the mm-hmm. 12 month mark, right? Right. If you, you know, if you were really trying to maximize the amount of light you're getting from the bulb, uh, you'd, you'd want to be replacing it after just four to six months because, uh, that's when the biggest drop occurs. Uh, you know, and that just becomes, uh, you know, uh, kind of ridiculous replacing them that often. Right. Whereas after that four to six months, it stabilizes. So, you know, if you're replacing them real often, you're also at a, uh, you've got a situation where the light levels are constantly changing. Yep. You know, from one month to the, to the next, they'll, they'll be falling. And you really don't have a stable situation. Whereas once that first four to six months is over, the light levels pretty much stabilize and, uh, you can really count on the amount of light you've got, and uh, you know it should stay like that for quite a long period. Then, yeah, and and you know, and again, we'll we'll have everybody see the graphs for the details. But uh, I mean, the difference between the the four to six month to the end of the year mark, it was it was minimal, if I remember. It was like less than a ten percent difference. And, yeah, it was uh, it was on the order of five to six percent. Yeah. So again, everybody can go and and see the, the actual graph. It's it's kind of cool to to see see that. So uh, I should probably do that now. Uh, in this test, you really were only measuring the light output, right? So there's, it's not really the whole picture, uh, even for this one type of bulb, correct? That's correct. Uh, you know, I didn't really have a uh, any good way or uh, any way at all of uh, of truly measuring the spectrum. Uh, so I was just looking at the uh, total par, the, the total uh, light output of the bulbs. Um, you know, spectrum may change over time, and and, uh, in all likelihood it does change somewhat. We really don't know how much. Uh, The thing that I was uh, kind of uh, emphasizing here is that the the amount of light output is the most important factor of the bulbs. That's been shown that in terms of growth of corals, light output is much more important than spectrum. Now, as far as the spectrum goes, though, that can certainly have an effect on how the, the reef aquarium looks. Uh, what I found with these bulbs is even when I replaced the one bulb that was old, uh, the the look of the light coming out of the reflectors was not much different. Um, now, as far as spectrum goes, it can have some effect. The most immediate effect of a, a shift or you know a different spectrum of the bulb is that the corals may look like they're a different color. You know, you just by turning on a different color light. Right. Uh, it may also be that the pigment shift over time with different spectra, but uh, that's not really known for sure. Um, so the, the whole question of what the spectrum does over time really is not answered. Yeah, and you actually you had pointed out an article uh, by Dana Riddle that had talked about uh, the importance of spectrum uh, as a bearing on, on coral growth. And did you cite that or uh, link to that in your article? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah, okay. that was the the article that that uh, showed that the uh, 
the spectrum was much less important than the actual light output or the light levels in terms of uh, determining the growth of the corals. Yeah, so definitely something that people can also check out uh, right. uh, when, for, as a reference to your article, too. Certainly spectrum is another uh, important issue in terms of you know, how uh, aesthetically pleasing the aquarium is. So there may be times where you want to replace the bulbs just because you don't like the look of the, uh, the uh, kind of the color of the, uh, the, the light anymore. Right. That it isn't, you know, it's no longer as pleasing to your eye, even if the light levels are still high enough. But that's a real subjective issue. Um, yeah, and it's uh, also said that, you know, that shifting in the spectrum, you know, if it shifts far enough can cause, you know, excess algae growth and, and stuff like that, that may, um, I think at this point is still all anecdotal, uh, but uh, it just kind of shows that there's still a lot of testing that, that can and still probably should be done on, on such topics. Oh, exactly. We're, we're just scratching the surface of all the uh, issues surrounding uh, reef lighting. Yeah, exactly. Now, uh, you know, it's a, it's interesting. It brings up another topic that uh, I've actually brought up. This is probably the third or fourth time. Now, uh, again, just like in the past, you're just a regular hobbyist that decided to, you know, set forth, do a little bit of investing in hardware and start performing these tests and, and produce some results, right? Right, right. So this um, is definitely something that anybody can jump into. Exactly. Uh, and that's maybe one of the reasons I also chose to do this is uh, that I think it is useful for hobbyists to contribute what they can. You know, this isn't an earth-shattering sort of uh, article, but it does contribute to the, inf- you know, the knowledge that we've got about the lights, and, and it was really relatively easy to do. Yeah. Probably took you a couple, you know, a couple minutes a, a month to, to collect and jot down and, uh, you know, get the data together and then, you know, some time to right. write the article. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. It's certainly something, you know, anyone who ha- put, has a little extra time um, could contribute to the, to the, infer- you know, the knowledge base that we've got. Yeah, and these, these Apogee meters, you know, the, I guess from, from an overall standpoint, they're not that expect, expensive. I mean, they cost a couple hundred dollars. I think when I looked, uh, the average is like uh, between two and three hundred dollars. But, uh, you know, the the more I see people like you using them and the ways that Brian Plankus was using them, it almost seems like these are just a, a great thing that we should ju- we should just have, even if we're not planning on doing testing, to get a good understanding of how our lights are performing. Uh, there's so many different types of lights out there, and I don't see it likely anytime soon that there's going to be any massive test that's going to cover all of the bulbs. Yeah, and every there are constantly new ones coming out. Right. Well, you know, and like uh, Sanjay had pointed out that, you know, even your 14K Phoenix bulbs, uh, they're going to perform differently from one ballast to another. So the the bulb to ballast combination is it just it makes everything you know even more difficult for people like you that want to try to, to do some standard testing, uh, right. you know, for that to relate to something else. So it seems like these meters are definitely something that we as hobbyists might uh, might find valuable. Oh, and for anyone with a larger tank that has, you know, more than a light or two over it, uh, you might find that the uh, ability to stretch out your, uh, your bulb replacement schedule and, and use the bulbs a little longer because you know the, what the output is, 
because you may you might be able to pay for the uh, cost of the uh, light meter in just a couple of years' time anyway. Exactly. Now, I know we're veering off a little bit, uh, a little off topic here, but uh, you had a cool little thing that you used the Apogee meter for um, mm-hmm. it, regarding uh, acclimating. You want to take a minute and explain that? I thought that was kind of cool. Oh, yeah. I I uh, quarantine all the cor- new corals I get. So they're in a, a tank in the back room um, under, of course, their own separate lighting system, and before I move them to the uh, display tank, I I take a measurement of the light level that they're at, and uh, then when I decide where I want to put them, I uh, take a measurement, and it tells me whether, you know, how much I have to screen the light until, uh, you know, how much I have to screen it to bring the levels back down so that I'm not shocking the coral. And what is amazing to me is, you know, I'll look at a coral that's sitting in the quarantine tank and what looks like a really bright spot. And then I pick a, a spot in the tank that I think, well, that, that's about the same brightness. Um, it shouldn't really need any uh, special protection there. And then I measure the light, and it's, you know, two and a half times as much. Right. Our, our eyes are just so in, inaccurate at, at assessing those light levels. So this way, when I move it in there, I put in some window screening, uh, you know, multiple layers till I bring the light level down to just a little above what it was. And then I can slowly acclimate them by removing the, the nylon or the uh, fiberglass screen. Screening. And, uh, and, uh, and gradually bring them up to the brighter levels. Yeah, and you know what? I, I guess it, we'll just take that as a, a quick little tip for everybody because I thought that was a, a, a great idea because right now, we, you know, like you said, we, we try to eyeball it. And frankly, our eyeballs suck at determining that <laughs> level of detail. So. Well, I've just been amazed at how off they can be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, let's let's move on a little bit um, now. As people go through and read your article, what are you expecting them to take away from it? Um, well, one of the big things is that that they really don't necessarily need to replace their uh, lights as as often as they have maybe thought. Um, uh, that uh, you know, again, without it, without a meter, you're you're guessing a little bit. And that's where it really would be helpful to have one of these meters. But um, that many of these bulbs may last longer than a year. Um, uh, that uh, you know there may be multiple reasons for replacing the bulbs, as I said. You know the color shift, or uh, you just don't like that bulb anymore. But it won't necessarily be because of uh, the, the coral growth. You know, after a year, that the, it may the corals growth may be just what it was to begin with, and that you really may be able to stretch out how long you use those bulbs for another six months to a year. Yeah, so possible investment in a meter or uh, even getting one uh, in, you know, talking to your your local reefing club, maybe you can get one and kind of share it amongst uh, some people in the reefing club might be another good idea, too. Well, exactly. For just following your lights, it isn't the kind of uh, measurement that you'd have to do very often. Exactly. Uh, Once you a get month a good idea where you're sufficient. at to begin with, and maybe even every few months. Yeah. Um, exactly. Now, uh, moving on, uh, do you have uh, any plans to continue with this test or to do any new tests in the future? Well, I think I will kind of continue to follow the uh, bulb output for uh, maybe 18 months. Um at some point, I will replace the bulbs. Uh, uh, 18 to 24 months is my plan. What I may do is, instead of replacing them with all the same bulb, uh, go back to three and four, so that I can 
Three of one brand of and four of another, you mean, right? Right, exactly. Three, three of one, uh, one variety of bulb and four of the other, and then it still gives me, you know, uh, three or four replicates uh, to test, and then maybe follow those over time to see if uh, they follow a similar uh, uh, light intensity uh, curve over time. Um, another thing that I may do is uh, pick up one of these pocket. Oh, uh, I forget what they call Spectrometer. them. Spectrometer. Spectrometer, yeah, that uh, they're really pretty, uh, pretty inexpensive. I think the one that I uh, that we had talked about earlier uh, was um, like thirty dollars, and it uh, it it isn't it doesn't give you the same information that one of the you know multi multiple thousand dollar spectrometers does, but it does give you a breakdown of the uh, the light emission spectra, so you really have some idea of uh, of more of a um, Gives you something you can read over time. What the, hmm? It gives you something you can read over time. It's not right something exactly. Um, it, it it tells you something a little more quantitative about the color of the bulb, rather than just looking with your eyes and saying, "Gee, it looks a little more yellow than it was," or it's, you know, not as blue as it was. It gives you these spectral lines that you can look at and see uh, and compare them side to side and say, "Boy, that this band is getting weaker. It's the color shifting." Yeah. Funny, it's... Uh, uh, pick up one of those and and use that kind of in conjunction with the uh, the quantum meter. Yeah, and I'll tell you after you 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 turned me on to the one that uh, uh, that we talked about earlier, and uh, it's probably something that I'm going to look at picking up. It's probably not something that your your everyday you know lay hobbyist is going to be able to pick up and and understand right off the shelf. It's it's not something that's going to give you an exact reading. Um, there's, you know, information that you need to understand about, you know, spectral analysis and stuff like that. Not a lot, but there's just some basic ideas that you should understand. And if I do pick one up, then I'll probably be able to at least, you know, cover it on the show and talk about it a little bit. But, uh, um, I was under the impression that the, these devices were a lot more expensive or, you know, as you mentioned, the multi-thousand dollar ones, but this was actually, you know, after you showed me that one, I was like, okay, that's cool. I mean, for $30, I can get, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, the key that, that, that you mentioned is that it's, Right now, the only thing we have is our eyeball, and using that, it's it's ten times better than our eyeball. It's not, you know, the perfect test, but uh, it's a lot better than what we have right now. Right, it isn't going to give you a you know color uh, correction index. Uh, uh, you know, it isn't going to give you a the Kelvin number of the bulb, but it will give you an idea of of what the color is uh, doing, a more and how objective it's idea of what the color of the bulb is. Right, right. And and it isn't the kind of thing that really would you would use just on its own i don't think you know it's um like you say it doesn't tell you a whole lot all by itself but i think in conjunction with light measurements mm-hmm. it could be very useful exactly especially if you you know doing tests like you're doing right now it'd be real interesting if you carry on with that and then you can see um, if you're able to track uh, the change in the spectrum as the intensity the bulb goes down over time i think that would be interesting too right yeah, yeah. these uh devices were uh, introduced to the reef hobby maybe six months ago. Yeah. So uh, unfortunately, if they'd been around when before I'd started this, I probably would have picked them up, uh, you know, at that time. But they kind of came out in the middle of it, so I thought, well, I'll wait till the next uh, next round of bulbs. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, because one of the things that the uh, you know doing a, a spectral analysis like this and looking at the the spectrum, uh, you know, as you know, obviously what, what you're seeing is certain emission lines. And I wonder if what's happening in that initial drop-off, if, if if you'd see, you know, larger uh, banding within that spectrum just drop off indicating, you know, the removal of certain, 
you know, elements from within the bulb or something. I don't know. It seems like there's yeah. got to be something in there that's causing that initial drop off and then, you know, staying steady for so long. It'd be interesting to test yeah. out, though. Oh, sure. There could be, you know, one particular compound or element in there that is quickly... Uh, burnt uh, off. Right, burned off or some other way rendered uh, non, no longer active. Yep. Um, and that would be, that'd be very useful information to see. It may really change the character of the bulb compared to, uh, you know, a new bulb. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, hopefully you, you get a chance to, to continue with those testing and get that meter. I, I really think I'm going to look into it a little bit more and hopefully pick one up. And, you know, like I said, we'll be able to talk about it. Um, uh, but that's that. I think that's probably about it for that for this show. If there's anything else you wanted to to throw in before we wrap things up, well, I don't think so. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to to, to discuss the article. Awesome. And if anybody's got any questions, uh, as with all the reef keeping articles, uh, there's a. a information at the end of the article on how you can contact Alan if you have any questions. Um, or, of course, you can post uh, you know, comments and reply to this, and we'll get in touch with Alan and get his feedback there. So, um, all right, Will, thanks again for joining me on this Reefkeeping edition of the Talking Reef podcast, Alan, and uh, hopefully we'll get to talk to you in the future with more test results. Great. Thank you. And we're just about done with this reefkeeping edition of the Talking Reef Podcast. We're going to round out the show uh, by discussing the items that are going to be in this month, as usual. Uh, so we're going to start off with the feature article this month, with, which is even more information about metal halide lights for everybody out there. Uh, this is some testing information on 250-watt single-ended metal halide lights and ballast done by Joe Berger. Uh, this, this month's frag of the month is on propagating zania coral. Uh, and, of course, don't forget to check out the uh, always awesome-looking uh, Tank of the Month. Uh, this one's actually rather interesting because normally we're used to seeing all these big, huge, uh, you know, gigantic systems on here. Well, this month's Tank of the Month winner is a actually a little nano tank. So for all of you that aspire to have a beautiful nano tank, make sure you check out that. Moving on to the regular columns this month, the Reef Alchemy column by Randy Holmes Farley. Uh, is part two in the How-To Guide to Reef Aquarium Chemistry for Beginners, What Chemicals Must Be Supplemented. Uh, moving on, there's a good book review. Uh, if anybody's that's a, a clam keeper, the book is uh, Giant Clams in the Sea and Aquarium by James Feathery. Uh, make sure you check out that for some information on that book. And, of course, Reef Keeping's Top 10 list. And this month you get Top 10 Best Days in the Hobby. So make sure you head over to ReefKeeping.com, check out that. And for more information about Talking Reef Podcast and this show, or if you have comments or follow-ups, head over to TalkingReef.com. And as usual, I will talk to you next week with another episode, uh, audio or video. Not sure which one yet. So we'll talk to you then. Have a good week. <laughs>